0: La, 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 friends. La, 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 ping. Yeah, that is my bike. That's a great video, isn't it? Yes. Good to have you guys with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, we're talking about relationships, a mess worth making, and guess what we're going to talk about this morning? Conflict, welcome oh, yes. Resolving conflict. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians. Chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 15. That's where we'll start. We've got a lot of other verses we'll be looking at also, as you can see there on your notes. Grab your sermon notes there and take a look at that intro. Life is all about relationships. Would you agree with that? Yep, absolutely. Our fondest memories and our deepest hurts involve relationships. And we've been talking about this for a little bit, but. Healthy people create healthy relationships. Jesus was asked what's the most important goal in our life or, or what's the most important law that we should live by? Where should we direct all of our efforts in life? And he said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So he was basically saying, hey, it's all about relationships. And uh, that's found in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Because we live in a broken world, With conflict everywhere, would you agree with that? Yeah, no doubt about it. Healthy people know how to resolve conflict. And so I believe that resolving conflict is one of the most important skills in life that you will learn. And you you were supposed to learn that in your home growing up, and then when you got sent out into adulthood, you would know how to do that. But... I would bet that most of us didn't learn that in our home, and we've had to learn this uh, kind of, yeah, really in in an extremely tough way. And so um, the gospel is a model and motivation for conflict resolution unlike anything else. So let me ask you this. Do you have good conflict resolution skills? What do you think? Are you good at this? You can see on our notes, we're going to talk about the first uh, big idea is the damage of unresolved conflict. And then we're going to talk about the four basic ways we respond to conflict. Three of those are the ways that uh, kind of the default mode within us, and it's the wrong ways. And then the fourth way is the right way we'll look at. And then we'll wrap it up by talking about how to resolve conflict. That's where we're headed with our study. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? And we will pray, and then we will take a look at uh, this text and And unpack these notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love just enjoying your presence. And Father God, you saved us by giving your Son to die for us, forever proving that we are loved, forgiven, and reconciled to you as your children. We pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand. And experience these truths deep within our hearts. What you have done for us so that we can love, forgive, and pursue reconciliation in our relationships for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Galatians 5, 13 through 15, kind of a launch pad for this study here this weekend. It says here, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Stop there just for a minute. Let me just talk a little bit about this freedom. We spent a a number of months this last year in the book of Galatians, and what he's talking about here is we tend to fall prey to a couple of different extremes. One would be legalism, which leads to bondage. It's enslavement. Legalism says you must obey to be saved. That's legalism. The other extreme would be license, where I'm saved and therefore it doesn't matter whether I I obey or not, because I'm already saved, and so I can kind of live however I want to live. And he's basically saying both of those will lead to enslavement. Neither of those are right, and, and actually the gospel says that we are saved, therefore we will obey. Of course you're going to want to obey. You're going to want to follow him because he saved you. So our acceptance and our salvation comes first and then our obedience comes out of that. And this is really what he's uh, saying here. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is that empty ego trying to find its satisfaction in creation as opposed to the creator. We all do it. And the tendency is, oh, I've, I'm, I'm saved, so therefore I can live however I want to live. And he's saying, no, you can't. That's, that, that will lead to enslavement, bondage, and... He describes what this idea of serving one another is. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't live that, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have major conflict. And verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So here, let's talk about this first of all. The damage of unresolved conflict. Damage of unresolved conflict. Number one on your notes, it hinders my fellowship with God. Matthew 5:23 through 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's almost kind of like you've come to church, you're going to drop money in the box and all of a sudden you remember, hey, wait a minute. I offended this person and I need to go make that right. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What is he saying? He's saying reconciliation is really important as it relates to your worship of God. It's going to create some hindrance to your fellowship with God. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, likewise, he's already talked and addressed women and how they're to conduct themselves in their marriage relationship. And now he goes to husbands, says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessels, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? And I think that also applies to women too. If, you're, if there's uh, unresolved conflict between you and your husband, it's going to hinder your prayer life. And, and let me uh, see if I can apply this to our lives. So wise, loving parents, wise, loving grandparents are intolerant of their kids or grandkids fighting, bullying, and mistreating one another. Would you agree with that? In the Davis home, I know that, boy, they used to drive me crazy. You get, on a, you get all the kids piled in the back seat and one begins to pick on the other. It just drives me crazy. It's like, what are you guys doing? Why did you guys all of a sudden decide to start fighting while we're driving down the road? Don't make me have to pull the car off the side of the road and deal with this. And... Uh, and typically, I know that in the Davis home, perpetrators would inevitably enjoy less privileges and opportunities from mom and dad. I'm saying that very nicely because <laughs> you want to time out, dude? I'm going to come after you if you're going to mistreat one of the other kids. And so, and it's the same thing. Our father in heaven is intolerant of our mistreatment of others. He's intolerant. That's what those verses are telling us. He's intolerant of our unresolved conflict with one another. He's saying, deal with this. Deal with it. Number two, it hinders my Christian witness of the love and power of Christ. John chapter 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples by what by your love for one another how do I know that I'm truly a follower of Jesus Christ it's going to be seen in how I I relate to you and treat you that's what he's saying now you got to understand the context of this you guys know what the context of those two verses are he's washing the disciples feet now if I was in Jesus' shoes it would be really scary and, uh, and if I was washing the disciples' feet when it comes to Judas, now keep in mind, Jesus knew that Judas was going to be, you know, shortly after what he's doing here, he was going to be betrayed by Judas. So if I'm washing Judas's feet, hand me that wire brush because I'm going to scrub. I'll teach him. His feet are going to be bloody after I'm finished with him. He won't even be able to walk for a month. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. That's how I would have responded, but not Jesus'. He washed Judas's feet. He's showing unbelievable love, even knowing that this Judas is going to betray him. It's pretty amazing. And so what he's saying here is that, so uh, the damage of unresolved conflict, it hinders my Christian witness of love and, and the power of Christ. Christians should stand out you should stand out if you claim Christ as your Savior and Lord you should stand out not only because of our being recipients of God's radical crazy love for us Do you have any idea how much he loves you are you regularly just absorbing and enjoying and celebrating his love that should make a difference in your life is what he's saying here but also for our radical love for one another as I was thinking about this more, unresolved conflict is treason against the work of our triune God. What's the work of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It's all about reconciliation. And He's given us the ministry of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians 5. So there's two the damage of unresolved conflict. Number three, it hinders new relationships with old baggage. This is really important. It hinders old, uh, new relationships with old baggage. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Okay, how, how can we fail to obtain the grace of God? By the, by the way, the grace of God is God's empowering presence, enabling us to be what he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do. It's God's favor in our life. That's, that's a big deal. That's really important. And so I, I, I'm afraid that you might miss out on the grace of God. How can we miss out on the grace of God? That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. If you don't deal with this, I've seen this happen in people. The older you, you get, the more bitter you become. And it's because of unresolved offenses. You've been hurt in some way and you haven't resolved it. And over time, you are poisoned like a cancer eating away at you. How many have ever been around people that... It's just like, man, they didn't get over that stuff from the past. It just has poisoned them. And not only does it, has it defiled them, but it creates trouble within all of their relationships. It's terrible. That's what he's saying here. And what this, this condition, the root of it, is that you've missed out on the grace of God. You don't understand God's favor. You could have resolved that in God and brought healing to your heart, but you didn't. Now, the past can't really affect us. But our present feelings about the past can, it's called baggage. So, so we're not, you know, the past is in the past, but our feelings about the past, that's what we carry into the present and into the future. And so unless our past hurtful experiences are exposed to the light of God's grace, truth and healing and forgiveness, they will hinder our relationships in the present. That's the reason why when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, part of that prayer is taking out the trash in our lives. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have what? Send against us. I mean, he's saying that just like, that's a matter of fact. That's going to happen in life. And you better be taking the trash out regularly. You better be finding healing and help with those issues in your life. Otherwise, it's going to create a bitterness within your heart. It's going to poison your life. It's going to defile you and everybody else around you. So pretty important stuff. And, and let me just say this just real quick before we move on to the next one. Some of you currently, some of your issues with your current relationships aren't that, it's not that relationship, it's stuff from your past. And th- that becomes uh, kind of triggers within your heart. They remind you of some unresolved relationship or what they, when they say certain things or do certain things, it triggers something within you. And it has really nothing to do with that person. It has everything to do with the fact that you haven't resolved the past. And it, and it creates, so it hinders new relationships with old baggage. Number four, it hinders my happiness in life, Proverbs 17.1. Better is a dry morsel, the, the message says, bread and water with quiet. So better is bread and water with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Believe me, unresolved conflict can suck The life out of you. I mean, you talk about sleepless nights and ulcers and stress and anxiety and and all of this stuff. If you don't deal with it, it just, it it really makes for a, a really a bad life. You're not living the fullness of life that Christ came to give to us. Now let's talk about four basic ways people respond to conflict. So there's the the damage of unresolved conflict. It hinders my fellowship with God. It hinders my Christian witness of the love and the power of Christ. It hinders new relationships with old baggage and it hinders my happiness in life. Four basic ways people respond to conflict. Romans twelve seventeen through 18. It'll be up on the screen, really a great text. He says, repay no one evil for evil. What's, what's our natural inclination when someone is evil towards us? We wanna respond, and, yeah, payback. In, in like manner. That's, a, that's our natural inclination. I'll show them. But he's saying it. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought. Notice this. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Not only the person, your perpetrator, but also in the sight of all of the onlookers. But also God and, and yourself. Now, I love the next verse. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I am so thankful that God did not say live peaceably with all and didn't put the, you know, preface it with those first two statements. Aren't you? Well, what if he would have said, just live peaceable with all, good luck. He didn't say that. He said this, and I love it. He said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceable with all. So here's what he's teaching us. I've taught this for years. Relationships are two-way street. You can only take care of your side of the street. But take care of your side of the street. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, and once you have taken care of your side of the street, realize that there will be those who you will never be able to please or get along with. They are called crazy makers. Crazy makers. Show of hands, anyone have a crazy maker or two in your life? Show of hands. Okay, show of hands. Okay, very good. If you didn't raise your hand, you may be the crazy maker. (laughs) Want me to give you another shot at that? Okay. You are the crazy maker. You could be the crazy maker. We're going to talk more about crazy makers next weekend when we talk about boundaries. Because crazy makers can, can drag us right into their craziness. And so you've got to know how to have boundaries in marriage, in friendship, in parenting, in all of that. What are boundaries? When to say yes, when to say no, how to balance that out in your life. And so we'll talk more about that next week. But uh, four basic ways people respond to conflict. The first one is fight. This is the attack. This is what I was, uh, have been more prone to throughout my life attack, open anger, blunt, forceful, loud, opinionated. You don't have to ask for my opinion. I'll tell you my opinion, okay? You know you know, people like that? It's like they'll give you the, your, their opinion, and uh, they're loud, they're forceful, they're insensitive to other people's feelings. They're repetitive. They just keep repeating it until you get it, until they wear you down, till you say, okay, I've heard you 10 times already. That's, yeah, that's my... My wife would say that. You've already said that like five times. I know, but I don't think you're listening to me. (laughs) And so they're repetitive. They're strong-willed. I call them the gunslingers. They come in with guns blazing and wait to see, you know, who's still standing after the dust has settled. (laughs) Now, let me tell you something about this uh, fight. The fight, this attack mode... Believe me, it makes you feel a lot better. If this is you, you feel much better, but everybody else is kind of wiped out. (laughs) You just devastated everybody. You leveled the room. You feel good, they feel bad, okay? Everybody else feels bad. And uh, that's just, that's how that fight goes. These type of people, open, this is open anger or open aggression. These typically marry people who are passive-aggressive. That's the next one, flight. So I kind of fit in that category. My wife fits in the next category. The flight, escape. This is passive anger, silent, soaking, pouting, deliberately evasive and obstinate, these people can even be backbiting. They tend to triangulate. Instead of going and confronting the person, they'll go in and talk about you behind your back to try to, re, you know, try to gain some support in some way. It's called triangulating. It's drawing a third person into the issue in the situation. And they'll typically do that. I call these people Eskimos. <laughs> so the first are more of the gunslingers. They come with guns blazing. The Eskimo just tries to freeze you out. I'm just going to ignore you and maybe you'll go away. Maybe you'll even die if I ignore you long enough. You know, it's just kind of like, I'm not going to give you uh, the time of day. I'm just going to ignore you. And that's just their response. Now, my wife used to think, you got an anger problem. She, she'd say that to me. You got a major anger problem. I go, yeah, I do. And so do you. And uh, and it was, she was mismanaging her anger also. She thought because she wasn't explosive, she didn't attack, she was managing her anger appropriately. She was mismanaging her anger as much as I was, only in a different way, through this escape, this passive anger. Now, fight is sometimes appropriate. A flight is sometimes appropriate to respectfully and temporarily withdraw from a confusing or emotional situation. Sometimes, you know, when you're starting to work through things and it gets a little bit heated... It's appropriate to say, hey, we need to take a timeout, calm down, organize our thoughts, and pray. Therapists actually call it, when you start getting a little bit heated, when you're sharing your thoughts and you just kind of get kind of explosive in that, therapists call it cognitive incapacitation. Isn't that interesting? The angrier you get, the less you can think straight. Whether it is fight or flight, it's called the Jim Carrey effect. As you get mad and madder, you get dumb and dumber. (laughs) And so there, there needs to be a cooling down. And in the cooling down period, the cooling down period won't work if you are in that cooling down period, nursing, cursing, and rehearsing your hurt from that person. All you're doing is building your arsenal to go back after them. When you get back with him. And so you've got to actually be, when you cool down, you've got to really begin to get control of that. We'll talk about some steps to resolving conflict and how you kind of work through that. But uh, fight, fight is also a legitimate response to serious threats of physical and sexual abuse. Um, and you need, to, you need to run. Run from that, get a lawyer, call the police. And you need to work through that, and that's totally appropriate. I was just thinking uh, as it relates to that idea of getting madder. The, my mom used to say this: she used to say, The more I think about that, the madder I get. And I would tell my mom, Well, quit thinking about it. You know? <laughs> Stop thinking about it. And, but see, but so if you're cooling down period, you're constantly, you're just kind of rehearsing, nursing, cursing, and rehearsing what had been done to you. You're not going to be able to be prepared to go back into the battle. And so you've got you to know how to cool down, how to focus how to receive from God, what you need so that you can respond to it appropriately, especially if you've taken some hits in that. The third one is freeze. Not to be commu- uh, confused with the Eskimo. The Eskimo is trying to freeze the other person out. This person is actually just frozen. So you've got fight, flight, freeze. This is You're just immobilized. You're, you, this is suppressed anger. So the first one is open anger. The second one is passive anger. This is suppressed anger. You're reserved Pretentious. Nobody would ever know that you have anger deep within you. They would not know this because you have this pretentious, you're moody, even depressed. When you, when you suppress anger, anger pushed inward can become depression. Oftentimes people that are depressed are people that shove anger down inside of them and they have, there's a lot of pretense in their life. You can become uh, resentful paralyzed. This is kind of the eggshell walking. You ever noticed, have you ever been around people where you feel like you're having to walk around on eggshells? And I've always said, I refuse to walk around on eggshells with anybody. Even when I was working out at Palo Verde, there were a few guys and supervisors. Was just, they were a pain. And I just thought, I'm not going to avoid them just because I feel like I'm, like this guy's going to come after me. And I just totally refused to. And that's how I felt. I'm not going to shove this down inside of me. I'm going to deal with it f- head on. And so you feel like you're walking on eggshells. You wonder if your opinion matters. This is what happens within people that tend to suppress their anger. And what I call this person, so the first one's more of a gunslinger. This one's more, uh, the second one was an Eskimo. This is kind of a ticking time bomb. Because what's going to happen is that that anger gets buried alive And it just doesn't lay down there, and it's real nice over time. It actually begins to build up until you are going to blow up. And sometimes you'll blow up and and act out, and it'll be an adulterous relationship. It may be divorce, it may be murder sounds crazy but that's actually and people will go I I never even saw this coming I've actually heard uh, spouses actually say when it came to adultery or divorce it's like I never even I never saw it coming of course you didn't because they stuffed their anger they weren't open about what was going on deep inside and over time it might have taken 15 20 30 years but boom they're gone don't have anything to do with them it's because they've been stuffing anger that whole time and uh, so it could be divor- it could be adultery, divorce, murder, suicide. Avoidance causes resentment to fester inside of you. that anger gets buried alive. Now what was interesting is that my wife, because I responded with fight, she was more flight, I could outtalk her and manipulate her and control her. And it, it didn't make for really a very good relationship. She easily could have left me after about seven years and probably 10 if Christ hadn't begun to change me. She was also tended to be a bit freeze. She was immobilized because of my anger. And uh, I st- uh, because of that, j- just between you and I, if I go missing, look in our backyard for a uh, fresh pile of dirt... You thought Nancy was really sweet and nice. And <laughs> she killed me. Because, she, because sometimes she would not just flight, but she would kind of freeze up. But praise God, God worked on our lives. She had the boldness to confront me. And, uh, and as we really had that conflict and worked through it, we were able to learn. The fourth one here is really learn to face face the issues in our life. The first three are mismanagement of anger. So if you tend to do the first three, you're mismanaging your anger. You have an anger problem. You have an anger problem and you need to uh, do some anger management. Anger management is is to face. This is peacemaking. Now, remember I talked a couple weeks ago as we finished up the teaching series on Reboot, talked about... Uh, rebooting relationally that's how we ended that series and it was kind of the basis for this next series and I talked about in that series hallmarks of health you guys remember that there are three hallmarks of health turn to the people sitting around you this is pop quiz time see if you can remember any of those hallmarks of health this is pretty critical because you need to know whether or not how healthy you are are you a healthy person do you have these hallmarks of health within your life because it's critical to your ability to face conflict real quick do that discuss it with the folks sitting around you Anybody remember those hallmarks of health? Want to yell them out to me? Authenticity. Authenticity, yeah, that was actually the second one. The second one was authenticity. What was the first one? What's really critical that you... Sign- deep significance. Excellent. Is it up here somewhere? Oh, gee. You know the craziest somebody over here just like, it's up on the screen. It's like... You know what's so funny is that the crowd last night didn't get it, didn't see that up there, the, the group last night, Saturday night crowd, they might have been sleeping. <laughs> How many saw that up on the screen? Then there you go, pop quiz, it's an open book quiz, okay? <laughs> it's right there, you see it? Hallmarks of health, deep significance, firm Authenticity and self-giving love deep significance is that you know deep within your heart that you're loved you're adored by God and then that gives you the resources to be authentic naked and unafraid there's that authenticity and then out of that's going to flow that self-giving love the latin word for confront means to face towards someone or something and so This idea of facing the security and significance of Jesus' love makes you less needy and more loving to others. Now, Now, let me ask you this question as it relates to these four. Which one of these most represents your family of origin? Now, the home that you grew up in, if you're sitting really close to your people that are part of your family of origin, don't look at them right now, okay? Just keep looking straight ahead. But what was, what was your upbringing? Because here's, the, here's what happens is that there's this homing instinct within all of us. We tend to go back to that which is most familiar to us, even if it's dysfunctional. We don't know any better. And so what you'll tend to do is, and that's what I did. I had to fight. I used to fight because that's how my parents uh, modeled that in front of me. That's what they did. And Nancy went to flight because that's what she learned growing up. Both of those are dysfunctional. Both of those are unhealthy ways of dealing with, with the anger and conflict. But what happens oftentimes, if you recognize that it's unhealthy, we tend to react, but we tend to overreact, and so we overcorrect. And so what I found myself doing oftentimes is I went from fight to flight, or I went to, from fight to freeze, so we tend to swing out to these extremes, but oftentimes extremes, because we don't know any better, aren't the healthy way of responding to conflict. So, so which one of these most represents your family of origin? It's important to kind of know that if you're going to work through your own. And then which one of these is your most natural response to conflict? So let's do mass confession here this morning. Show of hands, I'm going to work uh, from the bottom up to the top. So show of hands as we work through this. First of all, how many would say that that your most natural response to conflict is face. I can face it, but I don't like it. Show of hands, show of hands. Okay, okay, there's a few hands. Excellent, excellent. I can face it, but I don't like it. Okay, that's the first one. The next one is, uh, where am I here? Oh, freeze, thank you. Freeze, avoid at all costs. How many would say avoid at all costs? Freeze. Avoid at all costs. Avoid at all costs. Okay, cool, cool. How many would say the next one is flight? If I ignore them, they'll go away. Okay, 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 okay. How many would say the last one, fight? I do conflict recreationally. (laughs) Yeah, baby. How many would say, some of you kept your hand up the whole time. How many of us say you're a little bit of each one? Show of hands, show of hands. You guys are schizophrenic. (laughs) Praise God. I'm right there with you. Now, the tendency is that we do tend to kind of go back and forth and we go to these crazy extremes from fight to flight to freeze to... uh, But we've got to learn to, to face. We've got to have the courage The courage, we've got to have that deep significance in Christ and then it moves to firm authenticity and then self-giving love and we've got to work through that. We've got to get better at that, no doubt. Let me read you a story here I found quite interesting. A husband and wife were having a quarrel over the breakfast table. The quarrel remained unfinished. As it was time to get to work, the wife having trouble with the zipper on her dress asked for assistance in a huff. The husband freed the zipper and then angrily ran it up and down rapidly several times and then left. That afternoon when the wife returned from from work, there was a car in the driveway with a man lying on his back underneath the car except for his lower half. Remembering the breakfast incident, she went over, grasped the zipper on his fly... And zipped it down and up several times and stomped into the house. I'll show him. There to her surprise sat her husband drinking coffee. (laughs) In great embarrassment, she explained to her husband what she had done. He rushed outside to find his neighbor out cold. When the wife had grasped his zipper, he had reflexively tried to sit up and knocked himself out. (laughs) So, I mean, you can see how that ended. That didn't end so well, but maybe they had a good laugh over it. But both of them weren't working through their anger appropriately. So as you begin to work through, if you want to learn to resolve conflict, you need to start on you. Because what you're going to find out here is that relationships don't put you in conflict with others as much as they put you in conflict with your own sinful nature. And so it starts with you. Remember, healthy people make for healthy relationships. And oh my goodness, I learned that early on in marriage. I go, man, I need to get healthy. I don't respond to stuff very well. And not only that, as a pastor, I had to learn that. Believe me, you know what? In, in ministry, you take enormous hits. You just get the living daylights beat out of you. And, and I'm, I'm thankful to say that because my wife and I learned some good conflict resolution skills early on in our marriage, and then we, we brought them into the church, there's no way that we would still be in ministry today, 25 years later, if we hadn't worked through a lot of these hurts and a lot of these things and, and learned to respond by God's grace, His amazing grace. But I, we had to work on ourselves so that we can help to create a healthy atmosphere within our home, with our kids, but also within our church home and how we respond to people and what we do. And so it really starts with us and it starts with us learning to deal with our own anger within us. Let me just tell you a couple things about anger. You've got to ask yourself, why am I angry? You've got to identify the triggers for your anger. Why did that set me off? Why am I so upset? Why do I get so stressed out? And stop blaming people. Well, if they, these people in this city would start driving better, I would be so angry. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that next week. It's called boundaries. You're responsible for your own anger. Quit blaming it on the bad drivers in Phoenix. I mean, and so, and so it's, it's learning to take control of your own life and to work through that. Anger is in response to unmet desires. So you have to begin to explore, what are those unmet desires? And when those unmet desires become demands... So, when a desire becomes a demand, I, you can't live without that. So goes your anger. The greater your anger becomes, anger is energy released to defend the good and destroy the bad, as defined by you. So, you're defending the good and trying to destroy the bad. Remember the story of my wife coming home after her shopping spree with six pairs of shoes? I blew a head gasket. What was I defending? Our finances. Why? Because my security was wrapped up in having money in the bank, but money for her was significance is what she could buy. That's how she felt better. So, so I was trying to defend the good, our bank account. I was trying to destroy the bad, which is, was Nancy's spending uh, spree and her... Mishandling finances. Now, the problem with that is that over time I began to loosen up and realize that was a form of idolatry because I, I, I didn't respond to it appropriately. I attacked the person rather than the problem. And I also realized that I had a sense of idolatry because my security was in my bank account as opposed to Christ. And so the, it, it made all the difference as I began to work through that. That's why it tells us in Ephesians four twenty six through 27 be angry. So, angry is appropriate. In fact, if you don't express anger from time to time, you're not very loving. Loving people will express anger, but they'll do that appropriately, and they'll channel. So, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil a foothold. I believe it's one of the main major ways that the enemy gets a foothold into our life is our un our unres, our, our our unresolved conflicts and our inability to deal with our anger within our relationships. And so we've got to we've got to work through that. Now, how do we do that? Resolving conflict. The next four points are from the book *The Peacemaker* and also the book *Resolving Everyday Conflict* by Ken Sanding. We offered a couple of classes here a couple of years ago, within the last year or so, and they were really great classes. Colossians three twelve through fifteen, it says, "Put on then as God's chosen ones." Check this out. This is sweet. This is good stuff. This is how you're going to be able to be equipped to be able to deal with conflict. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, there's the conflict, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all of these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony check this out and let the peace of Christ rule rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful, the peace of God. Uh, Darren talked about this last week, really, when he talked about our conflict starts with our relationship with God. We have all of this guilt, shame, and fear because we're disconnected from God, but when we know that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we're gonna have the peace of God rule our hearts and minds, and then we're gonna be able to deal with peace and be a peacemaker in our relationships horizontally. Now, what, what he's saying here, this is brilliant, This is so good, man. This is awesome. This is not about behavioral modification. I could sit down and talk to you and uh, teach you some uh, conflict resolution skills, but it wouldn't do you any good because over time you'd fall prey to what you've always done. Because all we're doing is uh, dealing with the outside if I gave you behavioral modification. This is heart transformation kind of stuff. You realize that self-centered people can do bad things self-centered people can do good things mm-hmm. so you can be very self-centered in your relationships and then I teach you some good conflict resolution skills you're still self-centered you're just going to use the conflict resolution skills for your own good for, for yourself for your self-centered reasons so what, what you have to do is you have to deal with what is fundamentally wrong with all of us the essence of sin is self-centeredness and he nails it right here The reason why we have this self-centeredness within our heart, it's called conceit. we're empty of glory because we have been alienated from God and therefore we're empty on the inside. And so I'm going to use you to fill the emptiness inside. That's called self-centeredness because my identity is in Christ. Once again, it goes back to that idea of deep significance. When I understand what I have in Jesus Christ, I'm filled up. I don't have that conceit. I don't have to make it about me. My conflict resolution skills are not about me. They're about God and his glory and about you and how I can resolve this and we can build a bridge in this relationship and uh, there's a major difference between a genuinely loving person and one who wants to be seen as loving so what's fascinating about these verses in Colossians three, twelve through 15 instead of starting with what I should do for God I start with what God has already done for me that's always the starting point I begin by discovering that I'm chosen by God and dearly loved And because God bears with me, I can bear with others. Because God forgives me, I can forgive others. Because he loves me, I can love and live in harmony with others. You can't give what you don't have. And so when you have what you have in Christ, oh my goodness, then you can begin to offer that. You can offer that to others. Here's the first one, glorify God. That's the first thing you want to think about when resolving conflict, glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 makes that very clear. And this is the question it answers. How can I honor God in this situation? Now think about this. If God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him, then when we are most satisfied in Him, we will be less sensitive, that is, less offended by others, and less insensitive, less offensive to others. We will have thicker skin and a tender heart. Conflict is a great opportunity. I mean, I used to kind of like, oh, I hate conflict, but conflict is a wonderful opportunity to give glory to God, to glorify God, and it's a wonderful doorway to greater levels, listen to me, greater levels of intimacy and maturity, both in your relationship with others, but also in your relationship with God. There are things that God has worked in my life and my wife's life through conflict that were extremely hard but we are closer today not only to God but to one another through that conflict because we had to come back to this idea it's not about us it's about his glory and we use that to, to get to know God more and realize how much we need him now as you begin to glorify God one of the first questions you have to ask is this even worth fighting over sometimes a lot of things that we fight over aren't even worth fighting over First Peter 4 8 says love covers a multitude of sins and so when in that love you're able to there's just a ton of things. Believe me, there is a ton of things that my wife in her love just kind of overlooks in me. And I think it's more for me with her than her with me. I, I do. I believe that I have to overcome so many more things than she has to overcome. That's not true, actually, I know that. If you have God's approval, you don't need to fear the disapproval of others. When I forget the gospel, I become more dependent upon the acceptance and affirmation of others. That's what stirs up so much conflict, because I don't have my sense of identity in Christ. So I'm, I'm going to be less sensitive and less insensitive the more I understand it's about his glory. Here's the second one. This is hard. Get the log out of your eye. Amen. Now, this is interesting, because this is a little bit of Hebrew humor, and we don't laugh much, because we don't understand their humor. But Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, before you know, before you try to get the speck out of your friend's eye, he's got like, like you got a little Q-tip, you're trying to help your friend with your speck, get the log out of your eye first. So you almost, it's the the idea of the picture is like a big telephone pole sticking out of your eye, and you're trying to help your friend with their speck. And so, of course, they're all laughing, and we're like, huh, that's weird. And uh, that's Hebrew humor. But he's just saying, that's the obvious. That's You need to work on getting the log out of your eye. Now listen to me. Everybody look up here. Even... Even if you are only 2% responsible for a conflict, you are still 100% responsible for that 2%. So deal with it. Work through that. And um, how do you do that? You express regret. I'm sorry. You accept responsibility. I was wrong. You make restitution. What can I do to make it right? You genuinely repent. I'll try not to do that again. You request forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? That's from the five languages of apology, Chapman and Thomas. Can you imagine if we just started doing that, the healing that would come into our relationships? Just apology? But we're too proud. We don't have much of the humilities because we don't understand the gospel. We're not living in the reality of the gospel. And... uh, how to wreck a confession here's how you wreck a confession I'm sorry if I've done something to make you mad notice the if just pretty much discounts your apology or I shouldn't have lost my temper but I was tired or but you really made me angry we're going to talk about that next week nobody makes you angry that's a, that's a choice that you make. That's part of the boundaries and understanding boundaries. Or here's another one. Maybe I should have tried harder. Or maybe I should have waited to hear your side first. See, what you've done is discounted your apology. Here's what your apology should sound like. I feel really bad that I spoke so harshly to you the other night in front of everyone. I should have been more thoughtful. I'm very sorry for the pain I caused you. And that I was so insensitive. I don't want to ever do that again. I hope that you can find in your heart to forgive me. No ifs, buts, or maybes. You just take responsibility. Nothing will soften a person's heart like a sincere apology without shifting the blame to others or minimizing or excusing the guilt And and this is what I learned early on. I actually learned this from uh, Matt and Deborah Trussella who teach our marriage and rich class and learned this years ago and it was really, really helpful. You must deal with their reality and their perception even if you don't understand it. I talked to you a couple weeks uh, back. uh, It was back during that reboot series. I had somebody come up at the end of one of the services and, and basically said, you're an arrogant jerk and what you just said is wrong. You don't even know what the heck you're talking about. And um, a number of years ago, I would have been real defensive, but praise God for his work in my heart. I felt bad. I just said, man, I am so sorry that you feel that way. How am I an arrogant jerk? Man, I don't want to be an arrogant jerk towards you. And if I said something that was offensive, you know, in this process, please let me know. I want to know how have I, how have I offended you. And it was almost like what was interesting about that is that this person, it was like, like you know, when you're in playing tug of war and you're, pulling, and then you let go of your end of the rope. What does that person do? Now they fall. It was almost like this, this gal went like this. She went, whoa. She didn't know what to say and how to respond. And then she came after me again. And I basically responded with, with uh, gentleness and humility and said, hey, listen, here's the last thing I want you to walk out of here with is any kind of bitterness or unforgiveness towards me. I hope that you can forgive me, but man, I, I wanted you to see Jesus more than anything because it ain't about me. And if I said things through this conversation that were unkind, I want to take responsibility. I understand that, that sometimes God's word can be somewhat provocative but It comes with his grace. And if you missed his grace and all this, man, I am so sorry. I didn't do a very good job in communicating that. Please forgive me. And then she walked out. I don't know if she ever will come back or whatever, but, that's, but that, I learned that early on. And it's almost kind of like you're dropping that into the rope. Whether you understand where they're coming from, because the next person that came up to me said, that was the best message I've ever heard. I mean, it was kind of like, Really? I just got blasted by the first person, and now this person said, that was really great. I'm going to go back online and listen to that message. It was so good. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? But I was dealing with her reality. That was her reality. I couldn't dispute that. I just wanted to help her and build a bridge so that I could understand her more clearly. I believe that she was extremely hurt, and I think she was responding to something that was possibly in the past. And maybe she comes from a church that doesn't really preach the truth. And sometimes the truth can come off quite confrontational to you when we study God's word it's like wow never heard it quite like that and so me I don't know I don't know but I wanted her to understand the love and the grace of God in the midst of that and that's important here's the next one and only in that context can you begin to do the next one gently restore gently restore how can I help others own their contribution to this conflict How can I help others? And it's only so you can see, glorify God, get the log out of your own eye. You're helping to create an atmosphere. But here's, this is another good point. Everybody look up here. You gotta get this. This is really important. As it relates to your relationship, I wish I would have learned this early on. A critical marker to the soundness of a relationship is the extent to which both people can bring up and resolve issues in a loving manner. It's got to be a safe place. See, in my home, it was not safe to bring up issues with, with dad, with me. And so Nancy had to, first of all, deal with the fact that she could never tell me anything without me flying off and getting crazy. So it, it was kind of a double trouble, double issue. We've got this issue, but uh-oh, i got to deal with the issue of how you're going to respond. I don't even want to tell you because you're going to respond in a negative way. So I've got to first deal with your response and then then maybe we can deal with the issue. There's always a primary and a secondary issue. Oftentimes when I'm dealing with couples and walking through things, the secondary issues of life are money, sex, parenting, home, vacations, in-laws and friends. The primary issue is, is how we treat one another and whether or not we can to the extent that we can bring up issues and resolve them in a loving way. And oftentimes I've sat down with couples and they're going after each other in such a way over finance. They say, wait, time out. Your finances are secondary. You're not even treating each other appropriately. Do you even understand the gospel? Do you understand what God has done for you? You're not living out of that. You don't understand. You should be stunned by the beauty and the glory of who Christ is. And then out of that overflow, begin to show that to your bride. Or to your husband. But you're not doing, let's go, let's go back. We gotta go back. Let's talk about the gospel once again. Let's, let's rescue our hearts here because you, there's not even a healthy environment to be able to discuss these issues appropriately. And so gentle and restore how, affirm and validate. Use the formula, when you do A, I feel B. Balance truth with grace. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week get into more of the nuances of that. This is what it might sound like. I love being with you, and i enjoy enjoying your fun-loving attitude, but when you made those jokes about my weight the other night at dinner with the Johnsons, it was very hurtful. See, that's what my wife had to do with me. She began to confront me over specific attitudes and how I would respond. And, she, and it was crazy because I, I would twist that. i go, well, you just need to lighten up. You need to get over it. You need to, and I, and I threw a lot of these defenses, but she kept coming after me. She, she continued to be gentle. She continued to be gentle and continued to approach it and continue to come after me with that. And uh, she was firm and steady, faced the issue, and the Holy Spirit began to get a hold of my heart through that. And uh, it is never loving to let someone sin against you or others. True love forgives the most, but condones the least. It will forgive you, but they will hold you accountable if they really love you. True friends and true love, like a surgeon, cuts us to heal us, not to harm us. You guys remember the movie few good men Jack Nicholson remember this classic statement you can't handle the truth you guys familiar with that okay so do you are you going to believe Jack Nicholson are you going to believe Jesus who said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free he said speak the truth in love we need the truth we're desperate for the truth we all have blind spots my wife desperately needed to speak truth to me I needed that cutting that would bring healing to my heart. You need it too. We all need that. But it's how we do it. We need to gently restore. What is the number one destroyer of relationships? What do you think it is? The number one destroyer. If you can understand this, you're going to begin to understand where people are coming from. Number one destroyer in relationships is a closed spirit or a closed heart and that's secondary to hurt. So when I get hurt in life, I tend to close up. I become defensive in life and it's, it's uh, in one word, it's called resistance. So when you begin to see that someone is resistant towards you, so my wife and I have learned this over time, when I see that she's resistant toward me, I need to say, hey, hey uh, did I say something that was disrespectful or unloving to you? And she does the same thing to me when there's that resistance. The resistance comes in the form of they stop sharing thoughts and feelings. They avoid conversation. They don't want that person near. They'll, They'll turn their back towards you. They shrug you off. They're resistant to affection or touching. There's hateful words. The tone of voice is harsh. They're sarcastic or cynical. Their facial expression is somber, sober. There's no eye contact. You don't want to wait to find out that they've got a closed heart, when you come home, men, and your clothes are out on the front lawn and the, all the door locks have been changed, okay? That would be a sign of a closed heart. But you don't wait until that happens. You gotta begin to see the clues. And, and how do you open up a closed heart? You just forced it open? No, oh. No. you're tender, you're soft. Did I say something or do something that was disrespectful or unloving? I just noticed that you, I felt some defensiveness from you. I was just wondering, is there anything between us? Did I say something? What did I do? That's how you begin to open up. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You got to get gentle, you got to get soft. Proverbs 12.18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh, I want to be the person that speaks words of, of healing, that's what I... That's, that's Jesus. That's what I want. You become soft. You become tender. You become gentle. You become understanding. You validate feelings. You confess faults. Whether it's marriage or the marketplace or the Middle East, hurt people hurt people. Healed people heal people. I want to heal people. I want to be responsible for helping people and bring, bringing reconciliation. That's the work... Of Jesus, So Here's the fourth one. We're almost finished. i going to be reconciled. How can I give forgiveness and help reach a reasonable solution? Now, you'll notice on your notes, it only takes one to forgive. That has to do with the past. We're going to actually end this whole series with talking about forgiveness. So that's in the future as we talk about that. But uh, it only takes one to forgive. You're dealing with the past. It takes two to reconcile. That's the present. You can only take care of your side of the street. A person must show by their actions over time that they are trustworthy. That's the future. So what you're wanting to do is show that the relationship is more important than your needs. That's covenant relationship. Consumer relationship is that my desires and my needs are more important than this relationship. Covenant relationship is that that this relationship is more important than my desires and my needs. That's, That's what you're ultimately. What can I do to earn your trust? When you see someone kind of backing off and they don't they're not trusting you, you don't demand trust. You can't demand trust. You have to earn trust. And so you ask, what can I do to earn that trust? Evidently, there's some sort of division in our relationship. What can I do? What can I say? How can we begin to reestablish that trust in our relationship? It is always more rewarding to to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. Now listen to me. This is where we're going to end. Real important. Christians are the most loved, forgiven, and reconciled people in this world and therefore we should be the most loving forgiving and reconciling people in this world you are never more like Jesus than when you are loving forgiving and reconciling next weekend boundaries let's pray Father God you you absolutely delight to lavish your love and grace upon your children and use them to be peacemakers help us Help us to draw continually on the goodness and greatness of your Son, our Savior Jesus, and bring his love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflicts of our daily life. And may it dissipate anger, improve understanding, promote justice, and encourage repentance and reconciliation for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.